verse 22 of this text, which is essentially the very last point of Paul's five-point sermon and testimony that he gave to his earthly king Agrippa. Verse 22 says, Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both the small and great, saying none other things than those things which the prophets and Moses did say should come. Now the two words I want you to notice in this text, verse 22, are the words, I continue. I want you to circle them, maybe. Underline them. At least take note of them. And he prayed a moment ago about this morning's message and the emphasis on Jehoiada who was steadfast. Tonight that theme continues about steadfast. The power of these words, I continue, the weight of these words, the glory and the grace of those two words can really only be appreciated after you hear what Paul says in the first four points. In other words, long before Paul says, I continue, we're going to get to that, that's our theme tonight. He first tells Agrippa how and why and what it is that he's continuing in. And I must say, beloved, on this Lord's Day evening as an assembly of people here gathered who unashamedly identify with Christ, it is vital, it is essential in this mixed up world to look all the King Agrippas in the eye. All the CEOs, all of your managers, all of the bosses and power brokers and politicians and professors. To look at all of those in authority or with any kind of leverage and boldly say with Paul, I continue. And to say it for the exact same reasons. There's a very interesting emphasis in Acts chapter 26 that's found in the repetition of the word self. Look at verse 1, if you would. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for, here it is, thyself. Then Paul stretched forth the hand and answered for himself. What did he say? I think myself. I think myself, happy King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day. Four times in two verses, the word self is used in reference to the Apostle Paul. Thyself himself, and myself used twice. It's pretty obvious that the remainder of this chapter is about, therefore, the testimony of one man, and that one man is the Apostle Paul. And the reason is, we have in this chapter that God grants to Paul and to all of us here this unique opportunity to hear his testimony. Paul has this wonderful opportunity to express to King Agrippa and Festus and the whole wide world, and to you and I here on this Sunday night, everything that he wants to say about himself. In other words, this chapter is the autobiography of the Apostle Paul. Think about it. That's his testimony in his own words. And the reason it is in the Bible tonight is because God wants us to hear his testimony. I tell you what, I for one am not interested in a Hollywood film about the Apostle Paul. It was done. I got through 10 minutes and turned it off. I'm not interested in what the History Channel has to say about Paul's life or A&E or anybody else. God plays Paul's personal testimony into his inspired and eternal and infallible and preserved word for all of us to read. So that I want you to try for a moment 
to picture in your mind where he's at and what he's doing when he gives his testimony. It's an amazing scene. As Paul stands before King Agrippa, as you all know tonight, Paul was a prisoner of the Roman Empire. He's been charged, first of all, by his own people with a capital crime. In addition, you'll notice he's been in this prison for at least now two full years. Chapter 24, back up a couple pages, would you? And again, please use your Bibles with me tonight. I think it'll enrich what you see in here. Verse 27, But after two years, Portius Festus came into Felix's room, took his place, as it were, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound, left him in prison. Just a political expediency on his part. So that, you know what, bouncing around now from one prison or one ruler to the next, Paul finds himself still an innocent man in jail, in prison, persecuted for the gospel. Two years in jail, solitary confinement, falsely accused and maligned, bribed and humiliated, still on the hit list of the Sanhedrin. Look at chapter 23. Turn back a couple pages again. This is how it all began. Verse 20 says, And he said, The Jews have agreed to desire thee that thou wouldest bring down Paul tomorrow into the council, as though they would inquire somewhat of him more perfectly. But do not thou yield unto them, for there lie in wait for him of them more than forty men, which have bound themselves with an oath. An oath that said what? They will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now are they ready looking for a promise from thee. Two years later, here's this man. And of course, he's standing before these people. These men are trying to kill him or they're thinking about putting him to death. And it says this in chapter 25. Turn back ahead if you would, because again, this is two years later. Paul's now in jail. Chapter 25, verse 2, the high priest and the chief of the Jews informed him against Paul and besought him and desired favor against him that he would send for him to Jerusalem, laying wait in the way to kill him. Now imagine this, folks, two years before our text. It says over 40 men took an oath. They swore by some sort of oath. They made a vow. They would not eat anything they wouldn't drink anything until one of them was responsible for Paul's death. It was a hit squad on a hunger strike. And obviously, if they kept their vow, it's two years later now, Paul's still alive. They're either dead or very, very skinny. Amen? <laughs> but the discouraging news, as we just read right here, right, for Paul, is that the resolve of the Sanhedrin is still very much alive. They want this apostle executed. And that brings us to the circumstances of our immediate text. Because here's Paul, he's, there's no, he has no idea how much longer he'll be in prison, knowing full well the dangers on the outside, humiliated over and again, dragged out in front of them by the Roman leadership. Chapter 25 again, look at verse 22. Then Agrippa said unto Festus, I would also hear the man myself tomorrow, said he, thou shalt hear him. And on the morrow, when Agrippa was come, and Bernice with great pomp, and was enter, entered into the place of hearing with the chief captains and the principal men of the city at Festus's commandment, Paul was brought forth. 
And Festus said, King Agrippa and all men which are here present with us, ye see this man. Can you see that? He's standing there. He's just dragged out in front of them. About whom all the multitude of the Jews have dealt with me, both at Jerusalem and also here, crying that he ought not to live any longer. But when I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death, and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I have determined to send him. So here, beloved, all right, you have the picture, I hope. Agrippa and Bernice are there with their full robes. Festus, the chief captains, it says all the principal men of the city. They're all decked out in their finest dinnerware. And the Bible says with their evening wear and the entertainment for the night, being the apostles Paul, they drag this, in their eyes, scruffy little Jewish preacher. They drag him from his cell. Been there for two years. It doesn't look so good. They stand before the onlookers, and as Paul stands, the Scripture says that the first words out of his mouth were what? I think myself happy, King Agrippa. Notice Paul didn't say, I demand to see my lawyer. He didn't say, please have mercy on me, O king. He didn't say, how long, O king, must I suffer? Like this, he didn't say, it's not fair, I'm innocent. You know I'm innocent, which he did. He didn't say, do you know who I am? What he said was, I think myself happy, O king. I consider myself right now blessed, a blessed man. And, of course, do you know what Festus thought about that attitude? Chapter 26, we read it a moment ago. Verse 24 says, And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice. I wonder why he said it with a loud voice. He screamed it. Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad or crazy. Paul said, I think myself happy. Festus said, I think yourself crazy. You can't be happy in that circumstance. Now hear this carefully, because the reason Paul, and the only reason Paul considered himself blessed at this moment, is that he was simply given the opportunity to speak. That's all. He was granted the time and the place to give his own testimony. And if you read it very, very carefully, and many of you have read it many times as I have, you can summarize the entire testimony, the whole testimony of the Apostle Paul in biography in Acts chapter 26 with these words. Number one, I lived. Number two, I saw. Number three, I heard. Number four, I obeyed. And number five, as you're going to see in a moment, the theme for tonight, I continue. The question is, what, all, what does all of this mean for you and I tonight? Well, let's look at them. The first one in verse five. He says, which knew me from the beginning, if, chapter 26, verse 5, if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of their religion, here's the first two words I want you to notice, I lived. I lived, what's he say, a Pharisee. Now once again, you might want to circle or underline those two words because that's the first chapter of Paul's autobiography. I lived. And specifically, I lived a life of the strictest sect of our religion i lived a pharisee so that what paul's reminding this king is that his past was absolutely filled with religion with piety if you will and not just any religion but as you all know the true religion the one true religion 
And not just a follower of the religion, he was a zealot in that religion. Verse 9, more of his testimony. I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. I'm the one who said guilty. Verse 11, and I punished them oft in every synagogue, compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange or Gentile cities. You know, one of the most unusual and significant things to me about this man's past is that at the very same time he was probably the most religious man ever, or at least of his day, he was also the most anti-Christian of his day. It's one reason he called himself the chiefest of sinners. So if you're very religious here tonight, but not saved, or you're watching and you think you're very religious, or if your entire life has been without religion but against God in some way, you're a secularist. Either way, God wants you to look at this man Paul. What an example of God's grace. Look at this man Paul and recognize that being religious or zealous or moral is not enough, but God's grace is enough. Paul used to glory in his strictness, his self-discipline, his diet, much like I do, as you can tell. Actually, for me, when I think about the magnitude of our galaxy, when I think about the vastness of space and how enormous the sun is and how small, tiny we are in this earth, I'm not really eating all that much cheese. Amen? I mean, let's be honest about it. I love perspective. He says, number one, I live. The second thing you'll notice, he says, is I saw. Verse 13, at midday, O king, I saw. Circle it, underline it. Because this is chapter 2. I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun. Brighter than the sun. How is that possible? Because it is noonday, you know. Shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. This light, again, brighter than the sun at midday, was, of course, the glory of Christ himself. The glory of our Lord Jesus showed up. And you know, it had great significance for the Apostle Paul because all of his life he's considered himself an enlightened man. He saw himself as a scholar, a leader, a thinker. You know, when he's accused of much learning doth make thee mad, he had a lot of learning. But the truth is, he was blind. In this regard, concerning Jesus, he was lost and thus living in spiritual darkness. Something he realized when this light left him blind physically for three days. And so he says to King Agrippa, number one, I lived, and number two, I saw. And that's quite a testimony all by itself. However, seeing a light, we have a few people come here from time to time. They visit, they come up to me after church, and they say, hey, I need to tell you about this thing that happened. As a pastor, I hear it a lot. This thing happened. I was in my room one night. I saw a light. And I, I humor them as best I can. I don't want to insult them. Maybe they did. I don't know. You know, sometimes a train goes by and it's bright, shines at the window. I saw a light or I heard a noise or God spoke to me. Quite a testimony here all by itself. But let me tell you that seeing a light doesn't really do anything to you or for you. Now, it might get your attention. It might scare you. It might even thrill you. But visions of lights and glorious sights never 
saved anyone. So the third chapter of Paul's autobiography is two words, I heard. Verse 14, and when we were all fallen to the earth, circle it, underline it, I heard. What do you hear? I heard a voice speaking unto me. And saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. In other words, more important than seeing a light is hearing, and specifically hearing the word of God, the words of Christ himself. How do you know what the word, and do you know what the word of God said to him? Yes, verse 15. And I said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. By the way, did you notice here that the Lord Jesus told Paul that by persecuting the New Testament church, he was persecuting the Son of God? Why are you persecuting, Jesus said, me? Jesus is so united to his church that when the local church suffers, he suffers with it. Ephesians 5 and verse 25 says, Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. See why we love the church of Christ? You see why we love the local New Testament church so much? Saul, why persecutest thou me, he said. And anybody who fights against his church or fights against or neglects his church is neglecting him. And so the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Herein too is a wonderful thing. It's wonderful because God in his grace spoke in mercy to the greatest enemy at that time that the church and that Jesus himself ever had. If you think about it, though, anytime God speaks to a lost person, he's speaking to an enemy. Romans 5.10 says, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Verse 6 of the same text says that Christ died for the ungodly. And then verse 8 says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Always remember this, beloved. You weren't looking for Jesus when you were lost. He was looking for you. 30 years ago, the 700 Club had this very famous promotion called I Found It. There were bumper stickers all over the country. And it just said, I found it. Anybody remember that? Anybody here remember that? Some of you, a few of you. There's just one thing. You didn't find the shepherd, the shepherd found you. Aren't you glad? It brings us to the fourth chapter in Paul's autobiography, and that is, I obeyed. I lived, number two, I saw, number three, I heard, number four, look at verse 19. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. You see, folks, just like it's not enough to see a light, neither is enough just to hear the word. The Word of God had a message for Paul. And if you're wondering tonight what the message was, just look at verse 18. To open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith. That is in me. And God's people said, Amen. What a message. Forgiveness and inheritance in heaven deliver from Satan and darkness. How? Jesus said, by faith that is in him. Which brings us then to the fifth chapter of Paul's autobiography. We haven't even gotten to the theme yet, which again is the theme of tonight's message. Two words, I continue. Verse 22, having therefore, based upon all that God did for me and through me and the reason I'm in prison today and have been for all this time, having therefore obtained help of God, 
I continue. I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those things which the prophets and Moses did say should come. You know, beloved, I've thought about this many, many times. You would think, wouldn't you? You would think that after two years of standing in prison, after being hunted down by hitmen, stoned by his own people until he was dragged away and rescued, you would think that appearing before all of these dignitaries now who have the power, yes or no, that finally Paul would just look at his situation and say, all right, I just need to take a break from all this stuff. I need a sabbatical from the gospel and always taking a stand. Here's my chance to give a strong defense of myself so that they will set me free. Paul's a lawyer. He knows how to get out of these situations. He's a Roman citizen. He knows how he can manipulate that situation. But know what Paul was happy to do is to keep telling the very same message that got him in there in the first place. And so he says, I continue. You know, beloved, if there's anything, anything that this church and this town and this state and this nation and this world and the school that some of you attend right now, if there's anything that all of it needs, it is men and women and young people of God who will say with conviction, I continue. Regardless of the circumstances, I continue. Regardless of the cost, I continue. Regardless of the opposition, I continue. Look, a lot of people say, I lived. I lived this life. I did this. I did that. I was a this. I was a that. I could have been a contender. I was a basketball player. I was awesome. I was great. I was blah, blah, blah. A lot of people say, I lived. A lot of people say, I saw. Oh, I saw this. You should have seen what I saw. It was amazing. You didn't see this, but I saw it. A lot of people say, I heard. And thankfully, a lot of people say, I obeyed. I'm glad for all of it. But all for those believers who do all of that and also say, I continue unto this day. You see, folks, everybody knows that it's very easy to be a Christian when you just saw the light. When you just saw something awesome. When you just heard the voice of Jesus himself on the road to Damascus. Anybody can be excited after an experience like that. But what about two long years later? What about 14 years later? What happens when the excitement wears off? Where are you when the journey's been long and tedious? What are you going to do with your patience when that patience has been tried? You know, I remember many years ago preparing a message on patience. And I was working on it, and I was working on it. I was a pretty young preacher at the time, new here in Jupiter. And I was in a really big hurry that day. It was on a Saturday, and I went to the post office in Jupiter, and I had one little package to insure and then mail. Unfortunately, apparently, so did everyone else in Jupiter. And so the line was, it looked like the McDonald's line in Abacoa, just long and slow, slow, slow. But you know, I was the model of patience. People around me were rolling their eyes and throwing pencils and complaining about the postal service and griping about the 
the lack of clerks behind the desk, you know, how come there's only two people here going on and on? Kids were in line. They were whining and pulling on their mom and wanting to leave. But not me. I was smiling. I was humming hymns and acting incredibly patient. Did I mention I had been preparing a message for the next morning on the subject of patience? And I remember they had this new digital clock there. And the digital clock was literally counting down to the year 2000 in big red numbers. So many days, so many hours, six minutes, 12 seconds. It was counting down to the millennium. And I felt like if this line didn't move, we would meet the millennium right there in that line. But I was so proud, again, of my outwardly obvious patience. And then finally, and it took a long while, I was the next one in line. You've been there, right? You're the next one in line and the envy of all the people behind me. And literally the very moment the clerk made eye contact with me and you kind of, you know, you get excited to call me forward, the electricity went out in the whole place. Just so the millennium clock and the computers and the lights. Here we are in the new millennium and they literally can't, they can't sell you a stamp until the computer goes online. And as I stood there, and I thank God I didn't have an automatic weapon. <laughs> You've heard the expression going postal? Too soon? I don't know, anyway, whatever. Pastor, how long was the power out? I have no idea. I stormed out of there right away and immediately, you know what? I did not continue. And I remember vividly going out and coming to the parking lot and I saw coming in was Marcella and I avoided her like the plague. I went all the way around here because I was so angry and I was preaching the next day on patience. (laughs) I didn't continue. And I'll say this again. It's just not a real test. Of your faith or mind, it's not a test of obedience or love for Christ. If you continue at the beginning of the journey, anybody can do that. The test is if you continue to this very day. Even if the day is rough and burdensome, as Paul faced himself in the prison of Caesarea. You know, when you look very closely at this text, you'll see in Paul's life, there never was really a time, never, when he said, that's, I'm done. That's it, I throw in the towel, I quit serving the Lord. And there must never be a time. Determine that there will never be a time when you quit either. Tempted to quit? Of course. I had a, I had a resignation letter drawn out in 1990. Dear members of Beacon Baptist Church, I had it in my Bible. I was going to read it one day. Tempted to quit? Everyone at times is tempted to drop out. It's natural. It's natural to the flesh, but you know what you can do? You can do is live in the supernatural and the spiritual. And you can say with Paul, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. You know, I titled this message tonight, the familiar motivational poster that was produced in London in 1939. Keep calm and carry on. It originally appeared in British newspapers, the poster did, with that very familiar Tudor Crown logo. And it was done so as an effort to sort of improve morale in London in light of the impending bombs that would be coming down from the Luftwaffe. And they did come. And they killed women and children and adults. They were relentless. They just kept coming. They were so relentless that Churchill had to go on the radio over and over again and encourage his people to carry on, carry on. 
Never surrender. When the war is over, that poster and that very admonition was basically forgotten. Did you know that? It basically disappeared from the vernacular of all of Great Britain, and it remained so until one copy of it was rediscovered in a bookshop in northern England in 2001. After that, it was believed that there were only two copies that existed in all the world from that period. Until 2012, the daughter of the royal court brought 15 of them to, of all places, the Antique Roadshow. And then it became popular. And then it became a branding thing. But you know, it's a reminder to me that sometimes the best counsels, the best truths and virtues are lost and forgotten and neglected. And you know what the result is on a personal level? It is sorrow and failure and loss. Carry on. In many ways, England has never carried on since then. They've been surrendering and surrendering and surrendering and surrendering, perhaps exhausted from the war. But for us, we have to continue. You know why? Because the war's not over. As a matter of fact, when it comes to this spiritual war and spiritual attacks, there is no discharge and there is no retreat. There is only victory when we close our eyes here and open them up in glory. There's a final statement I want you to notice in the last chapter of his autobiography. He said, number one, I lived. Number two, I saw. Number three, I heard. Number four, I obeyed. Number five, I continue. Number six, I want you to notice, he says, I would. Verse 28, then Agrippa said unto Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would. I would to God that not only thou, but also all them that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. In other words, Paul's great desire in life, his great motivation was that others would come to Christ. And he knew He knew that if he didn't continue, think of the epistles in this book that we wouldn't have if Paul didn't continue on this day. He knew that if he did not continue, that someday some church, some mission field, some lost person would suffer the loss. Moms and dads, your children need you to continue. Grandparents, your grandchildren need you to continue. Christian, your neighbor's your coworkers, your loved ones, whether they realize it or not. For many of them, their eternal souls need for you to continue. And you will continue. If you say with conviction in your heart, I would to God, I would to God that they too would be saved. Our heads are bowed, please, and our eyes are closed for just a moment. Paul said, King Agrippa, I think myself happy. Wow. What a way to start a testimony. I consider myself blessed just to get to speak. And when he finishes it, knowing what got him in that prison in the first place, he says, I'm going to continue doing it. To this day, I continue witnessing to both small and great, including you, King Agrippa. Pastor Blaylock, I'm here tonight, and I'm a believer, I'm a, believer, I'm a Christian by the grace of God. But I needed some of these reminders tonight. 
Something in this text and the Word of God that God has used to speak to my own heart. And I know this. I know that in large part, the final point of this morning's message and tonight's entire message nearly is the very same theme, steadfastness, faithfulness, finishing, continuing, carrying on. And I'm sure that God has a reason for it. For someone here, for someone online watching, Christians, we have to finish. We cannot, must not quit because as we taught the young people this morning, he's worthy. We already know it. They say he's worthy. Pastor, I'm a Christian, but I needed this message this morning. God is speaking to my heart about something. Who would raise your hands where you are? Through the building, through the room, and amen, and amen. Don't give up. Just don't give up. Carry on. Continue. Maybe you're here and you're not saved. Could we pray for you? I'm not sure that I'm a child of God that I'm saved. But I want to be sure. I need to be sure. Who would say that? Anyone in this room? Anyone? All right. You know, I pray that as I look at the young people in this room in my class, I pray that one day they will be like many of you in this room who were young people. I look around here and I see so many that were in our youth group that are now married with children. They're continuing, continuing, and I hope you continue. Father, bless the invitation. Lord, please have your will in our lives. Thank you for the testimony of a man who just considered it a blessing, even in bonds, to have the opportunity to give his testimony. May we consider it a blessing, Lord, to breathe and live and walk and move so that our lives are a testimony as well as our words. But Lord, thank you for the example of this man who said, I'm going to continue and I do continue to that day. Doing the very same thing that got him in trouble in the first place. May we continue, Lord, no matter what. Bless now the invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.